0: Conversations, season three, episode 14. So glad to be back with these. And today we have a very special guest. It's my friend, Lindsay Cross. And if you're not familiar with Lindsay, you will be after the end of this episode. She has been in the conservation business in Florida for a long time. She is currently the candidate for Florida House District 68, making her the first ever politician or political candidate we've had on the show, but we focus a whole lot of energy on what makes Lindsay tick as an outdoors person, her passion for wild Florida, from the wildlife corridor to red tide, to development, to toll roads. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Lindsay Cross coming at you right now. Hey, Lindsay, how are you?
1: Hey, Travis, I'm great. How about you?
0: Thank you for having me. This is an in-person podcast. These are my favorite. It's so fun. Coming out of COVID, being able to like see people again or coming out of COVID back into COVID. I don't know what (laughs) we are with any of that. Uh, Lindsay Cross, who is Lindsay Cross?
1: That is such a big question. Right? I'm someone who loves being outdoors and wants to share my love of the outdoors and nature with everyone around me.
0: Oh, that was a really good elevator pitch answer.
1: I just thought of that.
0: Um, you are a yoga instructor? Is that right? I, we, we've, So Lindsay and I, I'll, I'll, we'll get into this in a minute, but Lindsay and I have known each other several years, few years now. Um, but you're a yoga instructor, is that right? I am. Okay, so that's I know that's one of your passions because I always see you on Facebook. You're out in the parks or wherever leading classes.
1: I do, I work at a studio locally in St. Petersburg I teach private lessons and I love doing yoga outside. And I know
0: you're an avid kayaker, hiker, butterfly chaser, whatever. Like you like being outside. You recently on the Appalachian Trail?
1: I was. So I've got, I've got a couple different side jobs. I would say that I am fortunate to be doing so many things that I'm passionate about and getting paid for it, which is, you know, that's the big life goals, right? So one of my one of my side jobs is working for a company that leads outdoor adventure travel for women. Okay. So I was leading a group of 10 women on the Appalachian Trail in Maine for a week and we covered nearly 70 miles. And we summited Mount Katahdin, which is Maine's highest point at 5,267 feet.
0: So at the time of recording this, that would have been in early August when you did that? Early to
1: mid-August, right? It was late August. Oh, late August. Um, temperature up there? It was surprisingly warm. Okay. It was in the 90s for a Ooh. couple days, and that was probably one of the more difficult things, especially because we were staying in a lodge that didn't have air conditioning. Oh. And you, know, you come back from 12 hours of hiking, all you want is a shower and some air conditioning and we got the shower and the good food but no air conditioning.
0: Uh, it's funny, we're talking we're going to talk a lot about Florida on this podcast, but if I had to pick another state to live in, I think Maine just it reminds me of Florida just with cold weather. Like it's just wild, it's rural, it's it's I love that
1: state. It's it's wild, it's spectacular. It was the first time I'd ever been there. Okay. And it was some place that You know a lot of floridians spend summers in either north carolina or in maine so i was so excited to be able to go there and and do it as part of this guiding trip so you do that
0: you are also well i'm sorry i have to ask the baseline questions forgive me lindsay i have to ask these questions because this establishes if the audience is going to listen to anything you say or not okay these are the most important questions you'll get um The first one is, do you have strong feelings? And I know the answer to this already. Do you have strong feelings about pineapple on a pizza? Not really. Really?
1: I'm not going to die on that hill. You're not? No. I'm surprised by that. I would do it. I'm a a pretty adventurous eater. You are.
0: Um, But you're also are you vegan, vegetarian?
1: I'm a pescatarian.
0: Pescatarian. That's what it is. Sorry. Um, So I wasn't sure. I figured pineapple would be right in your wheelhouse. That's why I was I was thinking you'd go that way. I think you'd jump all over the pineapple. You're out hiking, you're out, well, you're on the AT, you're doing whatever. What is Lindsey Cross's go-to snack when you're out doing stuff outdoors? Fishing, kayaking, hiking, whatever. Or is it different for different things?
1: My my favorite snack right now is dried mango slices. Okay. Yeah. That's solid. I also like black licorice. Really? Which is a weird one.
0: So my son who's on, he used to way back when we started the podcast, he had a little segment on it. He loves black licorice. It's his favorite snack right now. So that's a good one. Like real licorice. Not the, not the sugared up. Yeah. Public, I don't know, public, but weird. Um And then I'm going to ask this one. I don't know that you'll have it. Do you have a favorite little Debbie snack?
1: The last of, time you ate a little Debbie snack. Yeah. I had a whoopie pie in Maine. Okay. I will eat a homemade whoopie pie and I make a darn good key lime pie, but little Debbie, I'm going to pass on that. Okay.
0: I would be interested in this key lime pie recipe at some point. Maybe we'll do a, a cooking episode at some point. We Have should you back do that with because...
1: some, some Florida favorites.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to think you and I first met at a national wildlife federation event. Um, and it was like a shaking hands. We didn't know each other or anything else. I think it was in passing, but, uh, Bill Cooksey, who's a mutual yep, friend, Jessica yep. Bibza.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mandy Moore was there. Mandy well. was
0: there. That's right. Um, so we met that's had to be three or four years ago. And then Chad Rashar is uh-huh. a mutual friend of ours. Absolutely. Chad has been on the podcast before. Uh, he introduced us kind of through text message or something, said, hey, I think you guys should get to know each other. And we met for lunch and the rest is history. So you are running for office. Let's tell folks about that first off.
1: Sure, so I'm running for the Florida State House in District 68, which is parts of St. Petersburg and in Pinellas Park.
0: Okay, um, and you are, I'm gonna just bring bring this up. You're as a Democrat candidate. That's right. Um, and it's, it's odd because we're a hunting and fishing podcast, and we, we talked about this a little bit off air, but probably our demographic skews heavily conservative, and so I can hear some of the listeners saying, why would you interview a Democrat candidate, Travis? And the reason is I believe the work Lindsay does and has done is so important. And I believe something in my heart, and that is that she has a heart for sportsmen. Is that is that fair?
1: Absolutely. I think at the core of who I am, I'm a conservationist. And the hunting and angling community are some of the strongest conservationists we have in our state and our nation.
0: And so I'm gonna tease these things out a little bit. Um, The first thing that always struck me about Lindsay was shortly after we met, United Waterfowlers of Florida had their Waterfowl Summit in Ocala. Uh And so, Lindsay not knowing anyone from Adam, I invited her to that, it's free to go to, you register, and you came, and it wasn't like you came and stuck yourself to my side and said, okay, show me around, Travis. You came and went and introduced yourself to people and had conversations. And what's that like for you, like walking into that room
1: well, I think as a candidate and doing the work that I do, you have to be interested in people and understand what they love and how to find common ground on things. I knew that I would be amongst people who love spending time outdoors and we want to increase and maintain access for the outdoors whether it's for hiking or fishing or hunting. And so I think that we need more ways that we're working together and creating bigger alliances to protect the places that we love in Florida.
0: Now, is it true that you left the Waterfowl Summit and adopted a black lab? I mean, I, that's what I, I saw happen, was you, you, you came home and adopted a black lab, so we, we kind of got to you a little bit there, right? <laughs>
1: so, so I've always had a soft spot for black labs. It didn't happen immediately after that, but I have since adopted my fourth black lab Mixed
0: Okay. So we can't take full credit
1: for you it. You can't. Dang it. It. No, no. I, I keep
0: joking with Lindsay that I'm going to turn her into a duck hunter at some point. I don't well, f- it's,
1: it's actually, you've tried a couple times. I tried to go out with Adam Bass mm-hmm. a couple times. There were some, I think his daughter Hattie was sick one point, and then there was another emergency. So it just hasn't happened yet.
0: We we will figure out a way to get you out there, and you may hear Cooper in the background. And he is working hard on a bone. I think he is more <laughs> interested in the couch than he probably is. ducks.
1: He is. <laughs> we,
0: anyway, I love to joke about that. Um, you went to school to be a scientist.
1: I did. I have a degree. I have a bachelor's in environmental health from Colorado State University. Okay. And environmental health is an interesting kind of intersection of humans and the environment. So there's stuff about it that's, that was really fascinating, like disease, human disease, things from the natural environment like E. coli and Giardia. Um, we learned about landfills and how those systems operate. Um, and then there's epidemiology, the spread of disease. So there wasn't enough of the ecology focus for me. And I knew that it was a really good background. I, you know, took two years of chemistry. I struggled through organic chemistry. That was the worst class for me ever. But I got a really strong science background, realized I didn't want to quite do environmental health. I wanted to do more um, ecological work. And so when I went back and got my master's, actually, I focused on policy because I'd already been working in the environmental field for a couple years and saw how powerful policy and legislation was for making positive changes for the environment.
0: You, where'd you grow up? You grew up in Michigan? I did. Okay, like, did you grow up outdoors?
1: You know, we, we grew up outdoors, but not in the sportsman way. So my parents were into fitness. My dad was a long distance runner, a marathon runner. So we would do we would run, we would go biking. Um, I, I was in gymnastics for my whole life, but we were not the, the camping family. So the first time I actually spent the night in a tent was part of a 10-day backpacking trip that I took after my junior year of high school. Where was that? And that was in North Carolina and Tennessee, and that included portions of the Appalachian Trail, I had actually applied to be a volunteer in the National Park System and help rebuild trails, and for some reason, they did not accept me, and I was really frustrated about it, but they sent kind of a consolation letter and said, here are some other things that you could do, and they had a trip sponsored by, I believe it was the National Wildlife Federation, and it was for youth, and it was led by... Uh, young adults. And I think there was about eight of us and we spent 10 days backpacking. So I got my first pair of hiking boots, my first backpack, um, you know, two, two outfits, two changes of clothing and it rained, I think 80% of the time.
0: (laughs) That's been my hiking experience that it's just, that's the weather forecast. It's going to rain 80% of the time when I go hiking. Did you fall in love with the outdoors right away or did you, was it more of a gradual, okay? I think I might want to experience this again and kind of gradually fell into it, or?
1: I had always loved being outside. And okay. I knew my mom was a teacher and she did a unit with her students on Earth Day because it was, might have been the 25th anniversary at that time. And I kind of realized then that you could make a career. of protecting the environment and before that i had only thought about veterinary medicine and my love of animals but i realized you know there was different avenues to be outside and protect protect nature how long have you been in florida i've been in florida for 20 years
0: wow okay and conservation wise in florida what's some of the stuff that you've worked on
1: I think in terms of conservation, the biggest thing was when I served as executive director of the Florida Wildlife Corridor. That organization is all about protecting and connecting wild places, whether it's putting easements on privately owned land like cattle ranches, whether it's creating additional parks and preserves that provide access for people, again, whether it's the sportsman community or people just want to take their family out for a couple hours hiking.
0: So you did that for two and a half years? That's right. And then you left that job actually to run for the state Senate, right? Yes. Which is when we met initially. And I, we, we don't have to get way into that, but you, you kind of entered the race as a as a last minute candidate. Is that a fair way to say it?
1: Yeah, so there was a woman who was running in the race that had to drop out. The party was looking for someone else. And I think they exhausted all of their possibilities. Um, kind of at the 11th hour, my name came up. And I'll just say that I didn't say no, and that no turned into a yes. Forty-eight hours later, someone was driving my paperwork up to Tallahassee, and I had a hundred days to run a campaign.
0: Which, which is hard. That's that's why I was teeing that up that way. You, you didn't win that race, but it was you entered it really late at, for the greater good, so to speak. And um, from there, you shifted. You, you became an advocate again. You went back into advocacy work, uh-huh. um, which is a thing again, that I want to camp out on this one for a second because I, I feel like I glossed over the wildlife corridor. Fantastic uh, program. We're big fans of the work they do. Um, and you see a lot of that interconnected with conservation, Florida, with path of the Panther, with stuff that you've done, like all the, all these conservationists kind of interact and they're one big family, if you will, at a, at a state level. Um, but something that this is something that really attracted me to you as a candidate, and that is you stood the ground on the MCORS bill, the toll road bill. So I don't even know where to start that conversation because I think it's it's well worth having, but first off, can you tell folks what MCORS was?
1: Sure, so MCORS was, in terms of conservation, it was one of the worst bills that's been introduced in decades. Um, it was a bill that was passed in 2018 with the goal of creating up to 330 new miles of toll roads, and those would be through some of the best remaining natural and agricultural places, through the Everglades, through the springs areas, um, really you know, slicing through some of the best parts of wild Florida.
0: And let's talk about this for a second when you say slicing through, maybe maybe someone's listening to this and thinks, well, that's not that significant. But it really is when you think about it from a wildlife corridor perspective, because any fracturing of that corridor can create um, biological limits to where bears or panthers or deer or whatever will cross, right? And so then you create pockets where you don't have as good a genetic diversity. Am I explaining that right?
1: Yeah, so the whole idea of the, the wildlife corridor and corridors throughout, throughout the nation are to maintain connectivity. And we know that roads kill wildlife. And for the Florida panther, it's the highest mortality comes from collisions with vehicles. And so just the act of putting a road introduces potential fatalities for the panther. It also slices up their habitat and it makes it more difficult for, for them to move through their significant habitat range. The, the male Florida panther has a habitat range of about 200 square miles, which is massive, and so you start any new road and community that gets built around there limits that ability of the panther to find food and to find mates. It means that there's less genetic interchange, and so the population is not as healthy either.
0: Yeah, and and that extrapolates into. I think of myself as a conservationist first, but as a sportsman, you could get into things like deer and stuff like that. The same principle holds, yes, there's a lot more deer than there are Panthers, but if they get killed crossing roads, don't cross roads, things like that, you could limit the genetic diversity. And when we look at things like chronic wasting disease and some of those kind of things coming out, you could create pockets of that if you don't have a corridor so that there's a, a genetic exchange. I don't know if that's the right yeah. phrase for it, but that's kind of the idea. So m was significant because it was going to bisect and and intersect a lot of these green spaces that we have today um, so did did that did your time at the wildlife corridor inform your kind of opposition to m or did you just like in your heart of hearts say this is a bad idea or like how did you how did you kind of get there?
1: There were so many reasons to oppose that. um my time at the wildlife corridor absolutely gave me a better understanding of value of some of the privately owned lands and the connectivity, but also for the people of Florida, it was a horrible deal economically. Um, the Department of Transportation failed to do any economic analyses, but outside organizations did that and estimated that it could cost our state between 10 and about $26 billion to put those roads in. And there were not any studies that justified the need for them you know we're some of these would have been in some of our most sparsely populated communities and they were built not to serve the needs that we have right now or in the the near term but really to create opportunities for new development and to bring economic revitalization to some of those communities well that's not the best way to do that if if we want Broadband, if we want better access to health care and education, our lawmakers can do those things without building a new toll road, which is going to be paid for on the backs of all of us.
0: I think you said that really well. And I think I hope that's something that resonates with folks listening to this because it's when you, when you listen to the MCOR's bill, they talked a lot about broadband, they talked a lot about healthcare. And you're exactly right. That's the thought that I had recurringly was what's limiting what's prohibiting you from doing broadband there now? um particularly one thing i know that you did now the the uh, meetings ran into covid time when mm-hmm. they went virtual yeah but i know you burned it up and down the road when they were in person to be at every in person meeting I, I maybe missed a couple but you were at the vast majority of those and so we're talking meetings up the state and down the state absolutely right fort myers naples up to up to see not cedar key but the the big bend area yeah is that is that uh, sounds right yep um and you stood the ground the other thing that i think me travis i'll give you a lot of credit for is you seem to be the one that assembled the coalition of people you came to me you came to the waterfowlers you came to the sportsmen you came to the environmentalists and you said look we've got to all stand united on this like why was that so important to you
1: because we're we're not gonna win a fight like that with just a few environmental organizations. It has to be bigger than that. When we saw some of the repeal bills going forward last year and, and we did get a repeal of the program, there are still some new roads that are gonna be built. Um, but when we had voices from farmers in the community, there was a farmer in Levy County who came forward and and talked about just how damaging it would be to his family farm and the legacy that he wants to leave for his kids. You know, lawmakers don't always want to hear from the environmental groups. They, They want to hear how it's going to touch the people and the businesses in their community and there were enough people that said, this is not what we want for our community. We move to these areas or we stay in these communities because it's where we wanna raise our families. It's the lifestyle that we want and this is going to make that impossible for us.
0: Yeah, I'll say it this way. These are my words, not yours, but a lot of times you'll see a road or, or a project like this proposed and it's to quote unquote save this community and the people there that don't want to be saved because what they would like to save is their way of life and the way they live today. And I think yeah. that's kind of what you were illustrating and yeah, that's, that's super powerful. So you spoiler alerted it, um, the MCORS bill got, ha, help me say that, did it get repealed or did it, what, what happened yeah, so with the, it?
1: The statute that, that established MCORS was repealed. Right now there's um, in the bill that, that passed SB 100 dot is going forward with the pdne the project kind of design phase of an extension of the turnpike from wildwood to an undisclosed location so that could be a, similar to a version of the northern turnpike so we're not out of the woods with that there are also going to be some upgrades along us 19 between probably citrus county and going up to i-10 um, and there's uncertainty about what that will mean. If that will be a couple overpasses, you know, a couple ways to increase the, the speed, or if there's going to be significant components, which are very similar to a new toll road. So the fight is not completely over, but the, the funding and the full MCORS was repealed.
0: Which was a huge win. So thank you for for all of your... Efforts on that, and I know it was a lot of people. It
1: was a lot of people, but Lindsay
0: was the person I saw as the tip of the spear on a lot of this. As a guy that goes to a lot of meetings and stuff, you were always there showing up on this thing. So thank you from I was
1: there <laughs> from, from my
0: perspective as a sportsman. Thank you for always being there on that stuff because You're it was super important to us. Um, Wasn't the the nor- northernmost road? It ended at Georgia and just ended there. Yeah, like there was no connection to any place. It just ended exactly at the state line, roughly so um more recently we are in saint pete we're at your house in saint pete more recently i've noticed you've been paying a lot of attention to red tide who hasn't yes um been very involved in that and i'm really trying to hit on these conservation things because it shows i think the breadth of how much your hands are in conservation even though you're running for office and i don't say that reductively (laughs) running for office but I think a lot of times we sit back and we look at political candidates or politicians and say, yeah, that's lip service. You really aren't, Like you, you've been involved in this stuff. So um, let's talk about the Red Tide event in Tampa Bay, kind of what you've, what you've seen unfold.
1: Yeah, so Red Tide in, in Tampa Bay has been really devastating. The visible effects of having tens of thousands of dead fish and wildlife are not in our. We're not seeing that right now. That was happening a couple months ago. So, what I worry about is that people, their attention and their focus on this issue, is already starting to wane. But red tide is still out in the Gulf. It is. It's still present. Um, it could come back onto the Pinellas County and in the coastlines in this area. And it was devastating to the ecology of Tampa Bay. And we don't know what the long-term effects are gonna be yet, and how hard we're gonna have to work to come back from it. So I don't wanna rehash, I'm
0: I'm gonna tell folks, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but you did a great interview with Joe Simons over at Salt Strong recently. But I wanna get in just briefly a little bit into the history of Tampa Bay and water quality, because I thought you did a great job explaining that. And please go listen to it. Like I said, I'll put a link to it. But um, Tampa Bay had terrible water quality back in the 70s. Yeah. and they fixed it. Uh-huh. Can you can you kind of take us through that a little bit and then we'll talk about where we are today because I think that plays into as a politician some of the stuff that you're going to be addressing.
1: Absolutely. So Tampa Bay was was a poster child for pollution back in the 70s and 80s. There was actually a couple segments on 60 minutes showcasing how bad Tampa Bay was and that was because raw essentially raw sewage was being dumped into the bay. And sewage Fertilizer, industrial pollution they all contain nitrogen and phosphorus which are nutrients which are necessary for plants to grow but when we have too much it causes explosions of algae and so really it's the quantity of the nitrogen and phosphorus that we have to worry about so because we're having this untreated waste going into the bay there's so much nitrogen algae is just you know running rampant um there was large mats of algae floating in the northern parts of Tampa Bay along Bayshore. It was, you know, it was a disgusting place to be.
0: And we're talking in the 70s right now. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. You know, we had had rapid growth. Pinellas County is one of the most densely populated counties in the state. So there was a lot of dredging and filling to create uh, these finger fill canals, a lot of coastal development And again, the really unchecked pollution going into the bay. And so what started the turnaround in Tampa Bay was legislation at the state level by a pair of lawmakers, Republican lawmakers, who um, set up a program so that the wastewater treatment plants in Tampa Bay had to significantly clean up their discharges and go to something that's called advanced wastewater treatment, which reduces the amount of nitrogen to a very low level or they had to go to a hundred percent reclaimed and so that was this was
0: the grizzle was it so it was
1: a wilson grizzle wilson and then grizzle? The, and then the grizzle Fi, grizzle fig act
0: okay and this was a significant investment it was uh what do you do you have any idea ball i i, I in my head 100 million is the number that comes up i don't know if that's accurate or it would not, be, and not it would neither be of us have that. it in front of us but it was it was yeah. a significant for 1980.
1: yes so i know that In the past several decades, there's been two and a half billion dollars worth of investments in restoring Tampa Bay. I don't know how much cost um, to upgrade those wastewater treatment plants at the time, but you know, some of the some of the wastewater operators did not want that to happen, but it was a necessary thing because it was affecting the economy, it was affecting people's quality of life, and we know that in Sarasota Bay, they're having. Um, significant issues with some of their treatment plants, they're probably gonna have to put in a little over a billion dollars to upgrade those plants. Today? Today, today.
0: So that happened in in and around the early 80s that we upgraded the infrastructure here. Yeah. And then continue to improve on it. Yeah. Now we're starting to see some failures these days in that infrastructure because it's dated. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, as you were talking about that with Joe, I kind of thought about it's almost like the pay me now or pay me later. Yeah. But anytime you choose pay me later, it's usually a lot more expensive. Uh, so, so there's really a mentality when you look at infrastructure projects for water quality. In yes, they sound expensive on paper. And, and that translates into to the voter. Right. That's my water bill. That's my my tax uh, bill that I get from the county or whatever. But it's important to go ahead and do that. Right.
1: We can't afford not to do it
0: particularly in a state that is so dependent on water for everything for everything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so pivot that to what we're seeing now, obviously red tide is naturally occurring. We, we know that we have friends that are scientists and, but it's very much exacerbated by the nutrients you mentioned, the nutrient loading, the nutrient pollution. Um, we saw piney point unfold this past spring, uh, I believe the science kind of now is is indis, undis, undisputed, indisputable. But I think both of those are words. Um, that that was a that's a contributor. Those nutrients are, are a contributor to that bloom. Um, what did you guys see unfold there?
1: So it was it was kind of textbook based on research and our understanding of of red tide and you know our estuarine ecosystem. So. About 200 million gallons of water was discharged from from Piney Point, which equated to 200 tons of nitrogen. And that was over a 10-day period. And based on the long-term monitoring that the Tampa Bay Estuary Program has done, as the conveners of what's called the Tampa Bay Nitrogen Management Consortium, we know that that equivalent amount of nitrogen is what that base segment, the lower Tampa Bay bay segment, would receive in an entire year. So it was a huge slug of nitrogen. There's also some radioactive properties to that phosphogypsum waste. So that gets discharged into the bay. Algae start feeding off of that. We start to see, you know, a, kind of a series of different algaes that, that take over. Um, red tide was already out in the Gulf. And it was kind of like the perfect storm. The nutrients converged with a red tide. It had this readily available source of nitrogen. It was liquid fertilizer in a form that's easier for the algae to use. And so the bloom just exploded. It made its way into Tampa Bay and places where we haven't seen it since the the 70s in what we consider the bad old days. Um, Then we saw the massive fish kills and continuing to see you know impacts of it today
0: now i believe it's the the executive of the tampa bay estuary program i can't remember his name but he, he ed sherwood ed sherwood he called this an acute event which is i 100 percent true but if you work in medical the medical world that's a term that's familiar to a lot of people um hopefully perfectly we don't get a piney point every year like the state can take measures to in your, in your opinion, shut that plant down, yes. close it forever, mm-hmm. um, decommission it. I'm not, I'm not sure what the right terms are or anything else, but this is the kind of stuff you want to work on in Tallahassee. Am I right? Or am absolutely. I absolutely putting words in your mouth? No. <laughs> um, but the thing, the other side of that, I think, and this is part of the reason we're sitting here talking It's part of the reason I admire you so much and, and, and want you in Tallahassee is there's also legacy nutrients or I, I don't even know if that's the right term there are other problems beyond piney point that are contributing nutrient issues into all of our waters around the state but can you talk some about some of those
1: yeah so there's there's nutrients from our wastewater treatment plants we hear a lot when there's when there's spills rightfully so because it can be really devastating to the natural environment Um, we need to have more investments in the infrastructure whether it's the treatment plants themselves or the pipes and pumps that get the water to the treatment plants. There's, you know, a lot of our industrial sources, you know, has tighter regulations now than they did decades ago. Um, But there's also a lot that we can do in our own homes and our lives. Um, We have an obsession with turf grass and having a perfect green lawn. Come on. And, (laughs) you know, I can tell you, I love being outside, but I hate doing yard work. Um, it's, you know, when I see lawns, perfectly manicured lawns that are right next to a seawall, and you see someone putting fertilizer on there. Later that day, it's raining. You're you not fertilizing your rain your your lawn. You're fertilizing the algae. Um, and you know, I'm I'm not pointing fingers at people, but we. We can be looking at those type of individual actions that we have, and also some of our homeowners associations have been really obstructionary, obstructionists. Um, You're making yeah, up words. I'm now making up too. words now too, where they won't allow people to have Florida-friendly yards or something different than the St. Augustine grass. Um, we've had the legislature push back on ordinances to limit fertilizer during the rainy season, and so. We're not saying that you can never fertilize, you know, that we're gonna have this heavy hand of government, but our local governments are spending so much money to upgrade infrastructure, to you know, make sure that we're sweeping our streets and maintaining our stormwater systems. Taking a pause on fertilizer for a couple months is a pretty minor thing that all of us can do. Um, There's been some studies of nitrogen removal projects that the state is investing in, in some of the Springs communities. And it's costing us more than $2,000 per pound of nitrogen to remove it once it's in the water. I don't know how much it costs to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and get a bag of fertilizer, but it's like pennies on the dollar compared to what it's costing us. So we are all bearing that cost. We're just doing it indirectly. Uh,
0: You talked about wastewater, something else. And I don't know in in Pinellas County how significant this is, but I'm in Polk. Septic tanks Mm -hmm. and septic tanks, particularly with high water levels, don't work. Yeah, (laughs) They're they're no longer functioning as a septic tank if they're covered in water. Um, But that's when you talk about wastewater infrastructure, you're talking even too about getting people off septic and onto sewage or
1: yes that's that's also a push and septic systems were never designed to remove pathogens they if they're functioning well if they have adequate space and they don't have you know water isn't backing up into the systems they can remove nitrogen but there's so much that we ingest as people and that we excrete as people Septic systems aren't designed to address some of the pharmaceutical issues, the personal care products. So there's a lot of things that are going into our waters that aren't getting adequately treated. And that can ultimately get into our drinking water sources as well.
0: Something we we talked early on about you yoga hiking, but now before you were with the wildlife court, you, you worked with the water keeper at some point, didn't you?
1: I worked at the Tampa Bay Estuary Program. That's where it was. For 14 years. Okay,
0: this is not something that's casual to you. No. This is not an in passing, hey, I've taken an interest in this Mm -hmm. program. We glossed over that kind of in your professional unpacking, but um, I think that was an important thing to come back on. And I know because again, we're we're friends on Facebook and and in real life, you spend a lot of your time in Tampa Bay in a kayak or a paddleboard or out on these waters, right? Like this is home for you. It is. Um, so the stuff you want, now do you fish? Occasionally. Okay. I know I've, you don't I've hunt caught, yet.
1: I've caught, I've caught 160 pound tarpon. Oh, okay. that's my, that was a flex. That was pretty she, amazing. She stood up straight yeah. for that. <laughs> she a, that. She got, was,
0: she got a little, uh, I did not
1: her. use my legs. I used only my biceps and I like, I was exhausted for the rest of the day. It was such a magnificent experience.
0: They're glorious creatures. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I I say all that to put it in perspective that you are, you are one of us. Like we are this, the same that we all kind of come from this love of wild Florida. And this is not a casual thing to you. This is who you are it is. in real life. <laughs> um, Give me, I'm going to exclude Pinellas County for this. Okay. Okay. So I get you out of jail free on, uh-huh. on your, on your candidacy, but give me. Just a special place to you in Florida that's not in Pinellas County.
1: Fishing in Creek has got to be one of the most spectacular.
0: It's gorgeous, right?
1: It's gorgeous. And one of the gatoriest places ever.
0: Did you kayak it, canoe it? Like, Canoed. How did how'd you go down it? Or have you done it multiple times? Or
1: I was there um, camping and canoeing. Okay.
0: Beautiful place. I guess you'd classify that as Southwest Florida, mm-hmm. generally speaking. It's kind of in the middle of the state, but Southwest middle. Uh, very special place. All the old cabbage palms and yeah. oak trees, and it's just beautiful.
1: I also love the Blackwater Rivers, like Swanee River.
0: Okay. Like a big bend area, and I guess those rivers go all the way through the the Panhandle. Not Swanee, but there's, there's rivers like that all the way through the yes. Panhandle. Yes, The dark, murky, mm-hmm. Blackwater. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like you're uh, swimming in tea, you're uh-huh. kayaking in tea. Lindsay, what is an issue that you see coming in the, it's here or it's coming, that's outside the water quality and, and some of the other stuff we've talked about?
1: Well, this is something that that certainly impacts the water quality and, and conservation is just the continued growth that we're seeing in our state. Um, our population continues to rise and we need to find ways to welcome new people to the community, but in a way that is not going to impact the quality of life and the beauty of our state that we all enjoy right now. So when we are seeing new development, something that's happened in in recent years in Tallahassee is that there's been legislation that, that limits the impact fees, for example, that new development takes on. And so if you're adding population to existing urban areas, that means there's more water that's going to our wastewater treatment plants, that's more roads that need to be maintained, and so if that new development is not adequately paying for itself, that means all of us that live here already are having to make those sacrifices and pay more. I think
0: that's one of the most encouraging things I've heard you talk about because, very candidly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a registered conservative, right? I'm a Republican. But the growth and development seems out of control in Florida and it's a, it's a concerning thing to me mm-hmm. to look at and so this is the thing that I struggle with a lot. I, I, I maybe shouldn't have even said that part because I don't really follow the Republican platform to a T or anything yeah. else. Like, like a lot of folks out there, I think I try to look for the middle ground or the things that sound right to me or make sense to me, but that's so encouraging to hear someone talking about because i I feel like for a long time, unmanaged growth is the root cause of all of our problems it up is. and down the state. Yeah. Uh, I, I do you know, Brad Ferris, Do you know, I'm sure you know of Brad Pierce, Rancher in Okeechobee. And, um, I know, you know, Matt Pierce, but, um, but Brad has talked about the number of cattle in Florida today and the number of cattle in Florida in 1950. And it's roughly the same number of cattle. What's changed in that time is we've added, you know, 18 million, 20 million people to the state. Wow. That's pretty significant. So I'm really happy to hear you talking about not closing growth, but managing growth better. Yeah, is that, is that a fair and, way to say it? And making
1: sure that, that everyone's paying their fair share.
0: Perfect, I love that. So what is next for Lindsey Cross?
1: Well, I've really focused on this campaign for State House. The election is in 2022, so there's still many months to go in the campaign. Um, I work on water and land policy, so I'll be actively engaged in promoting good legislation That protects our water and our land and provides access to people for recreation and whatever they love to do in the in the wild um you know continuing to engage with people in the community and share my love of the outdoors and inspire them to get outside. You know, I love when someone sees a trip that I've been on and it inspires them to go hiking and they come back and tell me, like, I had this amazing trip, I went on the Alafaya, or I went camping for the first time and I just see, like, that sparkle in their eyes and I'm like, we gotcha. That's a win. Yeah.
0: So, first off, spell Lindsay.
1: L i n d s. A Y.
0: Okay. That's important because it's not spelled the other way.
1: It's not <laughs> <laughs> whatever the other way yeah. is. Cause I
0: think there's several other ways you could spell it. Um, and you were named after
1: Lindsay Wagner, the bionic woman.
0: Very cool. That's a pretty cool story. It is. So, uh, where can people find you on social media?
1: Yeah. So I use the same handle for everything, which is Lindsay cross F L L I N D S A Y. C-R-O-S-S-F-L, and so my website is lindsaycrossfl.com, and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
0: And you're pretty active on all those things, it seems like.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: Lindsay, thank you for doing this with us.
1: You're welcome.
0: Anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about?
1: Just how cute my dog is. <laughs>
0: So they can find you on those social medias. They can find you at your website. They can donate to your campaign.
1: And they sure can.
0: You would willingly would willingly? I would love that. that. Um, but they can also reach out to you and let you know if they have questions about issues or, or things like that. You're one of the most engaged people I know on conservation stuff and accessible about that stuff. So that's a thing that I've always appreciated about you. Thank but you, Travis. They can, they can get to you through those those mediums as well. Yes. Lindsay, thank you for having us.
1: You're welcome, Travis. It was such a treat. Thanks
0: again to Lindsay for being so generous with her time. Make sure to check her out at Lindsay cross FL on all the social medias. Lindsay cross FL is her URL for her website. And Lindsay is L I N D S A Y. As always, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy the show, how about telling a friend about it, sharing it on your social medias, leave us a review on Apple podcasts, do something to help us out. We appreciate each and every one of you. We can't wait to, see you again next week. I don't think you see people on a podcast, but you get the gist. Everybody have a great week and we'll see y'all next week.